the annual wellness visit is actually a great opportunity because you're doing a full med review or should be doing a full detailed med review during that visit and it's not supposed to focus on anything else acute. Uh, that's a really great time to get through a patient's list. Also, you know, whenever they're due for their complete medication review, that's another uh, great opportunity. Um, but usually you try to do something, you try to make changes when a patient isn't having an acute issue unless that could be the cause of their acute problem. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where quality measurement leads to better patient outcomes. This show will be your go-to source for all things related to quality improvement and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals. We will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. Please note that the topics discussed are based on the information available at the date and time of reporting. Information or guidelines are updated periodically, and we will always recommend that our listeners research and review any guidelines that are newly published. Buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. Welcome back to the PQS podcast, where we focus on medication use, quality improvement, and how we can utilize pharmacists to improve patient health outcomes. I'm your host, Nick Dorich, and on today's show, we are continuing our series on geriatric care, healthy aging, and senior care. Through the various episodes so far, each of our guests, those being Donna Bartlett, Sean Jeffrey, and Delon Canterbury, have all referenced the importance of managing deprescribing with the geriatric population. Well, rather than continuing to address that topic in small pieces here and there, we figured we might as well devote an entire episode to focus completely on that very topic. Therefore, today's guest is an experienced pharmacist that has multiple publications to their name related to deprescribing and the role of the pharmacist. That guest is Blair Sarbacher, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy. Blair, welcome to the Quality Corner Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Blair, to get us started for today's episode, we, we want to start with our guest. Uh, do you mind giving us a quick rundown on your background with pharmacy, with healthcare, and can you tell us what you do now? Sure. I went to Wingate University School of Pharmacy. After that, I did a residency with Car Drug in North Carolina, a community pharmacy residency, and jumped straight into academia after that. Um, for a little while, I worked uh, in the pharmacy, in the community pharmacy, doing medication therapy management, and ended up in geriatric uh, primary care and somewhat inpatient care. So um, I really found that I loved being uh, around the geriatric population in the primary care setting. So that's kind of where I've been. And right now, when I moved back to South Carolina, I am in a rural outpatient primary care clinic. So still lots of geriatric patients, but uh, increased my age uh, range a little bit. Great. Well, thank you for the introduction, Blair. And for our listeners, I do just have to comment. We've had a number of our guests in this show, especially on this series, with ties to North Carolina. It's not intentional. <laughs> it merely just happens that way that a lot of the pharmacists working in this space uh, happen to also have ties to North Carolina, where we at the PQS show are located. Um, before we begin with uh, today's questions, we're going to take a moment to stop and we're going to hear the breakdown. 
Now it's time for the breakdown. As Quality Corner show host, Nick will ask three main topic questions. Our guests will have a chance to respond and there will be some discussion to summarize the key points. This process will repeat for the second and third questions, which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. After that, expect to end on a closing summary, usually containing a bonus question. Now that we have described the process, let's jump into the questions. Blair, for today's show, we're going to start with defining our topic. And that topic, as we said at the beginning, that's de-prescribing. When it comes to a medication action plan, particularly for the geriatric population, what is de-prescribing at its most basic level? And how may that be different for a geriatric population versus, say, your standard or younger patient? Sure. So de-prescribing is basically just kind of reviewing all the medications and identifying things that could potentially cause harm or may not necessarily be a benefit anymore, or maybe a duplicate medication, and then finding a way to eliminate those from the med list or change those to something that might be more appropriate for a patient. And a lot of times when we look at de-prescribing, it is considered more of a geriatric practice. However, as patients get older, you know, some things change. So like, you know, maybe they don't necessarily need as much insulin because they're you know, fat composition changed, you know, so things like that can be more specific for the geriatric population. Um, but typically de-prescribing is just kind of a geriatric process uh, for the most part. So we'll have some, I'll have some simple kind of short answer follow-ups uh, to this question. When it comes to de-prescribing, what's kind of the best way to, to look at this? Are there, is there a particular medication list? I, I think already, I'll cut to the chase, Many pharmacists may look or think about, oh, well, beer's list criteria. That isn't necessarily fully inclusive, but that's probably a good starting point. You know, but when it does come to de-prescribing, is that the target list? Uh, you referenced some changes for, you know, patient health, uh, weight, et cetera, other medications that they might be taking. Where do you start? So I think the beer's criteria is, of course, a great place to start. As you mentioned, excuse me, it's not all-encompassing. The start-stop criteria is another great place. And then there's some scales called uh, acetylcholinesterase like burden scales. So there's like cholinergic burden scales is another term that you can use for it. And those are great places as well. But of course, just in general, like your primary guidelines are also great places. And an example that I would provide of that is, you know, a lot of our geriatric patients are have hypertension. And so a lot of them are on blood pressure medications and the guidelines have changed significantly. Uh, when I was in school, beta blockers were, you know, the, the blood pressure medication of choice. And that is not the case anymore. So you still see a lot of patients on medications that aren't necessarily um, providing that cardiovascular risk benefit or morbidity mortality benefit that we would really prefer them to be on. So the, that's another great area as well to focus on. Okay. The, the final question I have to, to this initial question is going to be about, well, what are we de-prescribing? Is it just prescription products? I mean, it may, there may not be official things that patients are taking, be it OTC, herbal products, or other elements that are there. But I would have to think or expect that for a pharmacist, it's not just the specific prescription products, but it may be any other supplements that they may be taking. Can you share a little bit about any other considerations beyond that? And I, I think that might dovetail into why it's important that the pharmacist gets not just the prescription information, but uh, any any other products like OTC. Sure. Well, of course, you always, you know, when you're getting the med list, ask about OTCs and herbals, because, you know, as we know, 
we're in a self-help society and patients and their kids, you know, love to go just pick up something that they think is going to be a benefit. And a lot of times we get duplication or things that could potentially be dangerous. Um, I know at one point I had a patient taking uh, ibuprofen PM and Tylenol PM and and that's, you know, lots of Benadryl. And I was like, no, that's probably not the best thing, you know, for you. And so, you know, I, it's really important to make sure we get all of those uh, OTCs and herbals, especially because, you know, honestly, in the primary care setting, you know, nobody's asking about those things. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I will add 10 or 15 items to a patient's medication list because I just happen to be seeing that patient that day as the pharmacist and they've been on for years. Yeah, the the examples you gave with the other over-the-counter medications is is a really great call out. Even myself as a pharmacist, I typically know what you know pain reliever I want to go and get. And when I go into a local pharmacy, I'm often inundated with different combination products. It's almost more troubling to even just find regular ibuprofen <laughs> versus all of the combinations. So particularly if you've got patients that are not healthcare providers, don't have that knowledge, or they're um, elderly, they or they've got other people that are caregivers, there can be a lot of confusion that's added in. And as you said, there can be duplication of therapy. There may be combinations that don't play so nicely together, uh, and that can, uh, that can create a number of problems that have downstream effects. Now, Blair, I will move us on or move ahead to the second question. And we we did just cover what is de-prescribing and, ha- and how it is primarily focused for the geriatric population. But for our next step, we should understand where to start with a de-prescribing plan. If you're a pharmacist that is reviewing a patient's medication history or action plan, what do you identify as potential targets for de-prescribing? We already talked about beers list criteria and some other elements, but what's the best place to start? And some of this might have to deal with patient buy-in. Do you start with medication regimen complexity? Do you start with pill burden, cost, side effects? There's a number of different ways that de-prescribing could be identified and targeted. Where do you start? What's the? What are some of those targets that you think about? And how do you create that opportunity for de-prescribing? Well, I really like to focus on benefit to the patients and avoiding harm, right? So I usually start with, okay, what's going to benefit this patient from a morbidity mortality standpoint? And I go through their past medical history and match their disease states with their drugs. And I find out, okay, which one um, is going to decrease morbidity mortality? And then I look at everything else. Well, is it necessary? So you know, is it going to provide, you know, heart failure symptom control, right? Or, you know, whatever else it may be. And then at the end of that process, if I have these other set of medications and I think, okay, maybe these aren't necessarily the best choices. Is there something better that a patient could be taking or um, do they even, are these even necessary? And of course, a lot of that is, is the patient taking them? I mean, there's a lot of patient factors that you have to consider, but I usually just start with the mor- morbidity mortality benefit for patients. It sounds like an easy enough start. And so the other part that I want to make sure we describe, and you had actually even referenced uh, earlier blood pressure control beta blockers, right? In some of these cases with deprescribing, I want to make sure we're clear on this for, for everyone, and many of our pharmacists will know this. 
some of these cases with deprescribing, it's not as if we're immediately stopping the medication, right? Some of these medications may need to be uh, tapered down to some extent. But, you know, thinking about that from a standpoint, when you're working with the patient's primary care provider, um, or perhaps it's a specialist as it relates to a disease state, does how does that come into effect? Is that going to be mostly dependent upon the medication, its intended use, and what are the priorities? Because with these patients taking many medications, going from a list of 16 medications to you know, eight, that can be really beneficial, but that much of a change can also cause a lot of confusion. So how does that play into the conversation with the prescribers and the patient? That's a great question. And often, you know, training student pharmacists, this is one thing they want to just stop everything all at once. And of course, that that can be actually very dangerous. And so I usually target like the most, the easiest one to, you know, kind of identify that's either totally not necessary or most harmful. And that's where I will pick my starting place. And I really am probably pretty conservative and I don't like to make more than one to two changes at a time per patient. And so I will, you know, make the recommendation for whatever the plan is. So does it need to be tapered? Can it just be abruptly stopped? Um, do we need to add something else on if we're taking this off, if it's harmful, right? Cause I'm not trying to add anything that I don't need to add, <laughs> but you know, what's going to be the safest approach to getting rid of the medication. And the patient has to be on board. If the patient's not on board, you know, that's going to be a tough sell to the provider. So I usually start with one, maybe two things, depending on what it is. Herbal supplements, you know, I'm always okay to pretty much shave most of those off. Over-the-counter products, it really depends on what it is. Prescriptions, again, it depends on what it is as to whether it can be abruptly discontinued or something that needs to be slowly take, taken off. Um, if they interact with each other or other medications on the list as well, that could be a consideration. And then, of course, with our geriatric population, we have to be real careful because some of the things that can cause withdrawal that uh, a younger adult may not feel can be felt more intensely in a geriatric patient. So like benzodiazepines, for example, those can be extremely dangerous if we don't taper them properly. All right, Blair, the other question I'll ask here as a as a follow-up in this was something that we did discuss in a prior uh, podcast as it relates to this topic, but what, when is the right time? Well, perhaps every time is the right time to consider deprescribing for a patient, but are there particular key points in your consideration um, for when this can occur? Is it around just an annual med review? Is it related to a discharge? Um, is it every time that the patient comes into the community pharmacy? Um, again, the answer may be all the time is the right time, but would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, sure. So I think when they're not acutely ill is probably the safest time. That being said, transition to care can be an optimal time to get rid of some of the, the extra stuff, like some of those herbal things or um, that kind of stuff. But uh, the annual wellness visit is actually a great opportunity because you're doing a full med review or should be doing a full detailed med review during that visit. And it's not supposed to focus on anything else acute. Uh, that's a really great time to get through a patient's list. Also, you know, whenever they're due for their complete medication review, that's another uh, great opportunity. Um, but usually you try to do something, you try to make changes when a patient isn't having an acute issue, unless that could be the cause of their acute problem. It's a great point, Blair, because, right, if the patient does have an acute problem, that is likely their focus at that point in time, whereas if they're doing relatively okay, you can focus on, well, 
hey, what are the right medications? Does this medication still have a purpose? Uh, one of our previous guests on the podcast pointed to how even how we speak and communicate to patients, clear intentions for a medication, right? Our bodies change. We may react differently to a medication. Sometimes a clinical um, a clinical endpoint is reached, right? And a medication may no longer be necessary. And those are clear communication points where it can be, hey, you know, for the patient, hey, this is a good sign. You no longer need this medication or because of other changes, we're changing the dosing. Um, but how you communicate really is the key point. And that actually leads us to our, our third question for this topic. It's going to be about how we have an effective intervention for deprescribing. So we know pharmacists, we're the, we're, we are the medication experts, and we're going to be working with the patient, reviewing a medication action plan. We're going to be optimizing therapy. Um, and we want the pharmacist to be working closely with both the patient and the prescriber. Um, and you know, from that standpoint, we want to have an effective communication to the prescriber as well. Um, there may be some states and there may be some practice settings, right, where a pharmacist can modify the therapy on their own. But in many cases, especially with community pharmacy, it is going to be a pharmacist providing a recommendation to the prescriber, likely based on conversation with that patient already. Wanted to ask you, you know, how can a pharmacist best provide these recommendations uh, or these suggestions to both patient and the prescriber to get buy-in? I think to me, the conversation is you're always starting with the conversation with the patient. We're talking patient-centered care, have to have the patient's buy-in. Um, but are there any other particular considerations that are really helpful so that everyone understands the intent uh, with the with the deprescribing? Sure. So I agree. Absolutely. You have to have your patient on board and they have to clearly understand what you're trying to do with their drug therapy. If they have any confusion over it, everything gets muddled by the time they leave you and get to their primary care. Right. I think the other thing that's really important is an explanation of what your thought process is to the primary care provider, um, because I'll tell you from my experience I, I have an inbox in my primary care office where, where I sit, and all the pharmacy reviews come right to my inbox. And they say, hey, Blair, you know, just handle these for us. We don't understand. Or even like the long-term care, you know, the pharmacist will send their recommendations from the long-term care facility. They all go in my box, and I go through them. And a lot of times, if I can't make sense of the recommendation, then it's hard to take. And so just even like a you know, here's what we're thinking, you know, is going on and or here's why we think this is no longer necessary or based on this current guideline, you know, this might be a better choice for this patient. Um, just being clear but succinct is very important. And so I think you get more if you just give a little bit of explanation of why you're wanting to do that um, in a clear manner. It's essentially a show your work type of scenario, right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and as I think about it, the, a phrase even that just uh, I was doing some training for pharmacists uh, yesterday, actually. And, and one of the things I noted is perhaps the most important lesson in pharmacy is that if it's not documented, it never happened, right? And even as I think about these kind of recommendations for deprescribing, the documentation there needs to help, um, you know, why, as you said, what's the rationale, what's the clinical benefit, what's the guideline that's being referenced as a consideration. Um, even for some cases, right, 
you know, as it relates to some of these combination products or other changes, what's what's the rationale for it? And, and having that kind of follow up really becomes key. Blair, the other thing I wanted to ask, and you had mentioned with your you know primary care setting in, in your inbox, one item that I've heard from pharmacists and from some other providers is even just the method or mode of communication, right? Many prescribers are going to have a preferred way that they receive recommendations. And um, and, and as I've seen it, it's, it's an item where it's kind of a, hey, the best way to, to get that action plan implemented or considered is to follow really just simple follow the recommendations on this is the way I prefer communications. Do you have any other kind of like experience like that with with prescribers or others that may be managing that type of care? Sure. So I think most of the communication that we get from pharmacies typically comes in, a, in the form of a fax. And I think the easiest, the, the, the amount of paperwork that comes in our office is really quite nauseating, actually. There's just papers constantly coming in. So I think if you, the easiest that you can make it for the prescriber, the better. So if you can put in a signature line and make it to where they can just check a box, sign it, and have their staff fax it back, you know, that that is really a fantastic thing. You're more likely to get, you know, your goal accomplished if you make it easier. So that's typically how, for our office, um, most of that's being handled. We don't have EMR communication um, right now with pharmacies. That would be ideal, but that's just not, you know, of course, where we're at. And I think the other thing is, of course, always the tone of how the recommendation comes in. So if the tone comes in and it's almost like accusatory or, you know, why are you doing this? Or that's really received very poor, poorly. Um, so, you know, and we do get that, um, shockingly. I mean, you would think that's, you know, communication 101 but quite often it comes across like that and so just even a um hey what were your thoughts on this you know gets them actually thinking about it more than just saying hey we'd really like to do this you know that's more of a command than like a real question so i think it's phrasing is very important as well um but yeah the best way you can set up is to make it the easiest for them to check it sign it and get it back to you you're more likely to get your goal accomplished. Yeah, details around the documentation, what what is the request, providing it in the manner that is not uh, not difficult, I guess, is really the most helpful way. And, um, you know, Blair, as you said, it's a lot of facts, it's still a lot of paperwork. I think people outside of healthcare really um, underestimate how much of paperwork, how much paperwork still exists in healthcare. And hopefully a couple of years from now, uh, some of our information just as it relates to the frequency of facts and lack of EHR, EMR access, et cetera, will make uh, some of the items here seem archaic uh, because hopefully we should get pharmacists to having that kind of um, you know access recommendations where it is more uh, more where it is more streamlined because that'll make it a much better process. Well, Blair, I do want to thank you now. We've reached the the closing segment for today's show. We've talked about deprescribing again in pretty much every episode in our series here on geriatric care. We've covered why it's important. Uh, what are the considerations? And you really helped helped us focus in on you know some of the specifics, what we're looking at, how to consider a deep prescribing action plan. Um, and that's all been very, very helpful. As it and I would add, we could probably do a whole nother month-long series of episodes on geriatric care and deep prescribing. We could even go into deep prescribing for particular classes of medication. I know even 
Blair, at the beginning with the first question, you referenced a couple of indications. Um, so who knows? We may be revisiting this as a topic in greater depth for 2022. But now before we do close today's episode, we always have a final question for our guest. And Blair, for today's show, I'd like to ask you about quality improvement. Um, and is there a new skill you've developed or is there a skill that you have uh, further developed uh, maybe it's something that's new, something already existing, could be in your personal life, could be in professional, could be with kids at home, whatever. Uh, but I'll let you answer. What, what's what been an area where you've had some uh, self-improvement, quality improvement? Um, well, I did just have the opportunity to attend an OSCE workshop. So that's the um, uh, objective structured clinical exam. So I'm kind of excited about bringing back some of the tools that I learned for that to the classroom to make my pharmacy students more practice ready. So that's one of the things that uh, the areas of teaching that I really enjoy is, you know, that clinical lab setting so that they can come to rotations ready to practice and ready to care for patients. So I'm really excited to bring some of that really good knowledge that I learned um, to the lab to prepare our students. Excellent. Well, Blair, thank you for that. And, uh, Best of luck to you. Best of luck to your students as the new guinea pigs in the new <laughs> the new <laughs> method. It's always it's it's always a bit of trial and error that's there. But I think I always find it really interesting with pharmacist faculty members that are working in the practice lab areas because I think that's one of the greatest assets, you know, from the pharmacist standpoint is our, our interaction. Um, now, Blair, before we do close, one actual final question for you. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, if they've got questions about de-prescribing or anything else that we talked about today, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, email for sure. So my email is gbsarbach at presby.edu. Excellent. Well, we can include that in the notes here as well. And, and Blair, again, want to thank you for appearing on today's episode. Really a, a pleasure to have you here and talking about deep prescribing. And we'll look to be covering again. Hopefully we'll be covering more of this topic in the future since it was a popular one. Uh, but for our listeners, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a question or topic, please let us know. Similarly, if you have a topic and would like to come on the show to talk about it, we'd love to hear about it. You can DM us directly on Twitter at Pharmacy Quality or by emailing info at pharmacyquality.com. With that, I appreciate you, the listening audience of the Quality Corner Show, and there is one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address, so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.